0: Madeline Smith, and you are listening to Actually Interesting History. We make history fun, accessible, and interesting by sharing the human story behind the dates we learned about in history class. As Rudyard Kipling said, if history was taught in the form of stories, it would never be forgotten. Now on with the show. Hello, and welcome to our final installment of our notable Kings of Great Britain series, We started with the notable Kings of Scotland. And then last episode, we went through the notable Kings of England, all the way up to Richard III in 1483. And with that, let's go ahead and jump right in. Richard III was the brother of the previous King and that previous King had two sons, but something, we don't know exactly what, but something happened to those sons in a tower. History is still unsure exactly what that was, but now Richard was ruling England in his own right. Richard was a York, a branch of the Plantagenet family descended from a Duke of York, go figure. And the other branch of the Plantagenet family was the Lancasters descended from the Duke of Lancaster. If you got that, 10 points to you. And those Lancasters were not happy about Richard sitting on the throne. Now I think at the end of the last episode, I mentioned a conspiracy theory that I love about the princes in the tower as these two sons of the previous king uh, became known to history. And Richard was supposed to have just been their regent until one of them came of age, but the boys went missing in quotation marks and everyone just assumed that Richard had had them killed. And this was a huge blow on his popularity. The conspiracy part is that it's been suggested in various at least historical fiction novels that i've read on the subject and i think that there's a couple of other actual historians that have put this forward but where i see this flushed out the most are in historical historical fiction dramas obviously because you know drama and historical fiction sells a lot of books but the person who had the most to gain from not having the boy survive and making richard unpopular wasn't Richard himself, because I'm sure he knew if something happens to these boys, then not everyone's going to blame me. It was actually the Lancasters, specifically Margaret Beaufort, who was the mother of Henry Tudor, one of the main Lancastrian heirs to the throne. I think that this is very, very interesting. I don't know how. Possible this could have been, but I think that it makes a lot of sense. And when, if we were spending more time on Mar- Margaret preferred today, which I just don't think we have time to do, you would know that that's not that far out of her—not <laughs> that far out of her personality. Henry VII married the eldest daughter of Richard's brother, that king that had come before him, combining both the House of Lancaster and York. He sounds pretty unfun from what I can gather. And if you Google pictures of him, he either looks like he's frowning or he looks like he just sucked a lemon. I don't just Google the pictures so you can see what I'm talking about. And he really liked money. He was very protective of his treasury. You didn't ask, but I plan on looking at his grave when I visit Westminster Abbey. He's buried with his wife, which I'm very excited about. Anyways, Henry VII died after 24 years and passed the crown to his much more famous son, Henry VIII. Now, Henry VIII, well, I would love to go into more detail. He started a new church, had six wives, got pretty girthy towards the end there. But frankly, you can go back and listen to my second episode of my podcast and learn all you need to know about Henry VIII and Anne Boleyn. Now, while you're at it, listen to Elizabeth I. And again, I will not be going back and listening to it as any recording of my voice makes me cringe uncontrollably. Hilarious, I know, since I have a podcast, but you should check it out if you wanna learn more. Moving on. First, after Henry VIII died, his son Edward succeeded him. Then when Edward died suddenly without an heir, his other daughter, Mary I, took the crown. And then, as I just mentioned, after Mary died, also without issue, Elizabeth I became queen of England. And if you'd like to know more about how a third child and second daughter at that managed to somehow gain the throne of England in a time when women were property and became arguably one of the most famous and successful rulers in the world. Well, then you can listen to my previous podcast episodes. Something Elizabeth I was famous for, though, was never marrying. And so then, who was going to inherit the throne? Now, Henry VIII's sister had buried the King of Scotland, which meant that the current King James was the uh, grandson of a... Actually, he was the great-grandson of a Tudor princess. His mom was the granddaughter. Which meant that when Elizabeth lay dying, she finally announced her heir and the crowns of Scotland and England were united. James VI of Scotland and the First of England, we met briefly during our Rulers of Scotland episode, but in 1603, when he inherited the English throne from Elizabeth, he was 36 and had already been king of Scotland for 35 years. See Mary Queen of Scots' epic downfall. We have not done a podcast episode on her yet, but I'm sure there will be one soon. Now he immediately moved to London, sorry Scotland, but London had like more stuff going on. And he was the first to call himself King of Great Britain, though this wasn't an official title yet that will happen later in Ireland. So thank you for that. Also notably, he was responsible for the King James Bible, an English translation of the Bible. I would say maybe not so much now, but at least when I was in Catholic school, this was the one that I was the most familiar with, this translation. James was succeeded by his son Charles, Charles I, and Charles made Parliament mad, demanding five of them arrested, a civil war broke out, and he was imprisoned and eventually beheaded. That's an incredibly brief summary. Briefly, the Commonwealth was established, led by Oliver, I don't know why that word was suddenly so hard to say, led by Oliver Cromwell, and he was declared Lord Protector. Mm, I'm trying to think of a, like maybe I would compare this to a president, but then when Oliver Cromwell died, his son inherited his job, which people pointed out, well, if people are just going to inherit this position, how is this any different from being a king? I agree. That doesn't make a ton of sense. And unfortunately for Oliver Cromwell's son, he was incredibly bad at this job. He ended up being kicked out. He lived in obscurity for the rest of his life and died pretty unhappy from everything that I saw. Now, notably, I left out some specifics on how all of this went down, uh, namely, the way religion played a role into all of this. And so just know that I'm very much oversimplifying. And guess what? You're not going to be tested on this, so don't worry too much about it. But basically, there's people who are Catholic and there's people who are not. And as it seems that has been an issue in this part of the world for a long time, it will continue to for several generations. After looking around after that whole Oliver Cromwell's son debacle, the people said, you know what? Maybe a king wasn't so bad. Sorry, Oliver Cromwell's son. And they invited Charles' son, you guessed it, another person named Charles and the monarchy was restored. This period is known as the Restoration. I love that they picked names that are pretty easy to understand. Huge shout out. Thank you, English historians. So Charles II, he reigned England from 1660 to 1665. Also known as the Merry Monarch, he seemed pretty chill from everything I could see. He also had 12 illegitimate children. He had a lot of fun. Now, one of my favorite books, Forever Amber, showed what life was like and the social changes that were happening during this time for the common person. It's pretty long, but I think that it's well worth it. There is a Forever Amber movie. It takes several liberties with the plot of the book but the actress who plays Amber is gorgeous. She's also in a number of movies I really like, Blood and Sand, but don't worry about it. So during Charles's reign, the great plague happened, which killed 100,000 people, and also the great fire in 1666. But on a happier note, he popularized the spaniel dog breed, which is now uh, one of the specifics of Spaniels are known as the King Charles Spaniel, because he liked them so much. Charles II seems to be one of the most popular kings of England, probably only second to uh, probably Henry VIII, and popular is subjective, maybe famous is a better word. He seemed good humored about everything, and I think that sums it up as much. The Earl of Rochester actually said, here lies our mutton-eating king whose word no man relies on whomever said a foolish thing nor ever did a wise one to which Charles replied with that the matter was easily accounted for for what his discourse was his own and his actions were his ministers so he was in on the joke I like that King Charles, even though he had had many an illegitimate son, never actually produced an heir. So his brothers, James II, inherited after his death. But James was super unpopular, namely for being Catholic, and Parliament asked his Protestant daughter, married to a ruler. uh, They have a different word for him being the ruler of this area, but I'm not going to bother trying to say it. He was the ruler of Holland and Orange. And they were like, hey, do you want to come be in charge instead of your dad? And they were like, yeah, sounds great. Fun note, the Latin word for James is Jacobus. And the supporters of James, i.e., he should be the rightful ruler. And then further down, the rightful heirs of the Stuart line became known as Jacobites. So if you watch Outlander, you will be a little familiar with this term. So starting with James and then the other descendants of James moving on from this time period anyone who supported a Stuart of that line being put on the throne despite the fact that they were catholic that's what the jacobite refer- jacobite movement refers to William III and II and Mary II Mary was the niece of Charles II and they gained the throne in 1689. After again, they asked dad, get out of the way. We don't like that. You're Catholic and amongst other things. Mary died by 1694 of smallpox, leaving William to reign on his own. The reason that this happened is that they were actually co-monarchs, meaning that they ruled jointly as equals. Oh, how far we have come since the days where Queens were property. Women still don't have a ton of rights, but it's better. Now, the way that this would have worked is if they would have had offspring, then that would have been the next heir. But since Mary died without having children, any children that William had without Mary weren't actually considered in the line of succession. So this meant that after William's death, Anne, Mary's sister inherited, and she ruled from 1702 to 1714. It's during her rule that the title officially switches to Great Britain, though, as we had mentioned, it's kind of been used before. So Anne is portrayed, as is the ruler portrayed in the movie, The Favorite. If you've watched it, it has Rachel Weisz and, oh my gosh, why can't I think of her name? I see her red head <laughs> face uh, in my mind right now. Emma Stone, Emma Stone. Her dad's from Ohio, by the way. Anyways, so uh, Rachel Weiss, Emma Stone, they're in the movie The Favourite. I I enjoyed it when I watched it. I don't think I'm ever going to sit down and watch it again. But this movie portrayed her rather harshly. And this view comes from a pretty mean descript- description that historians use for a long time that had actually been written by her former friend, the Duchess of Marlborough, who is Rachel Weiss in The Favourite movie. And recently, historians have revisited her and been a little kinder. Now, poor Anne, despite 17 pregnancies, she died without any children. They had all been stillbirths or died when they were young. It's actually really sad. Anne had a pretty, pretty sad life. But because of the act of settlement in 1701, no Catholic could inherit the throne. So this ruled out the Catholic members of the House of Stuart. So this is what the Jacobites are not cool with. They're like, hey, wait a second. No, these stuarts they're more closely related. They should be inheriting the throne. But Parliament said, no, no Catholics. So Parliament decided that after Anne, the granddaughter of James I, Sophia of Hanover, Hanover is a place in modern day Germany, would inherit or her Protestant heirs if she died before she was able to. So when Anne died, Sophia had actually died like two months prior. It was very close. So Sophia's son George gained the throne. George I of England, he ruled from 1714 to 1727. He was 54, had never been to England, and spoke as much English as I speak French. And from that giggle, <laughs> I know a laughable amount of French. That's what that means. So during George's reign, parliament grew stronger, mainly because George spent a lot of his time in Germany doing whatever German people do, I suppose. So they had to get stronger so they could run the country since the king just, again, was busy doing German things. And the first person to hold the political position of prime minister actually happened during this time. It was Sir Robert um, Walpole, W-A-L-P-O-L-E. Anyways. A note on his personal life. George had married his first cousin so that he would get a larger annual income. It's as transactional as that sentence. Her name was Sophia. George and Sophia had two children, the future George II and a daughter. They both didn't like each other very much. So after they secured the whole, okay, we got two children out of the way, they both pretty much ignored each other and both had affairs. Eventually, Uh, George, with the permission of Sophia's father, he knew this was all happening and it was just fine with it, George dissolved the marriage, not because both of them would have been committing adultery, which is grounds for dissolvement of marriage, but because, George claimed, Sophia had abandoned him. He then imprisoned her in a small castle basically a stately house, doesn't have fortifications or anything the way that you would think of of a castle, but it's a large, I think like manor house. I think that's the best way to describe it. She was imprisoned here for 30 years. Uh, George then checked up with his mistress for the rest of his life. By all accounts, he just doesn't seem like a guy that you would want to hang out with at all. George died at 66 while he was visiting his home, not England, I would say his home was Hanover, and he is actually buried there, the most recent English monarch to be buried outside of England. I'm going to skip ahead a little bit. The next monarch I want to talk about is George III. He ruled from 1760 to 1820. Now, he is the great-grandson of George I, and by this point, He seems to have mostly spoken English. He still spoke English with a German accent, but I appreciate that they're trying, trying to take on the culture of their new country. This actually reminds me kind of the Ptolemies of Egypt. The Ptolemies, people, I think it's so funny because people freak out over actresses playing Cleopatra and they're like, this person is an Egyptian. And it's like, Cleopatra wasn't Egyptian either. She was... Greek. She is Macedonian Greek. Her however many great, great grandfathered person, Ptolemy, was put on the, th- well, he secured the throne in Egypt after Alexander the Great died. And so she was Greek. She wasn't an Egyptian, and but she bothered to learn the language, which that was very kind of her. It's not exactly the same thing, because at least these people, the Hanover's, are related to the English ruling family, but for all extensive purposes, they're German, and they only married their German cousins, which just made them more German. So just keep that in mind. We're <laughs> we're all very German around here in the aristocratic uh, arenas of the English nobility. Anyways, so... George III, that's who we're talking about again, sorry, before I got off on my tangent, he had 15 children. His wife, Queen Charlotte, is the queen portrayed in Bridgerton. He made a brief appearance during season one of Bridgerton and then again in season two. It was a kind of a plot point. It's like the queen likes the diamond of the season or whatever, sees that she's kind, blah, 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 blah. If you saw him on Bridgerton, then you may know that George had some type of illness. Historians are very unclear on what his modern diagnosis would be. Some people believe that he may have had bipolar disorder. Uh, some of his episodes were described of were described as mania, and then there's a couple of other things that historians point to that say, maybe it was this. He also could have been suffering. There's a specific word for it, but basically it's blood poisoning. And recently his hair was tested and they did find high levels of arsenic, which can be attributed to the makeup they wore. So it could have also been some type of arsenic poisoning that was causing him to act um, just off. Like he would go into these fugue states where he'd talk endlessly for hours and he'd foam at the mouth or he just goes silent, or he didn't really understand what was happening. He thought he was in a different time. There were all kinds of things that were going on. He had a few of these episodes throughout his life, but by 1811, it was clear that he was unable to rule anymore. So his eldest son, George, of course, his name is also George, took over as Prince Regent. And this is where the term the Regency period comes from. Lots of stuff happened during George's, George III's reign. First in 1776, America said, thanks, but no thanks and declared independence. George fought very hard to maintain control of America, but he actually said to John Adams, after he was named American minister to London in 1785, I was the last to consent to the separation, but the separation having been made and having become inevitable. I have always said, as I say now that I would be the first to meet the friendship of the United States as an independent power." So he understood, okay, once America was lost, it was important to maintain a relationship with America. So that was interesting. I thought that that was actually a very diplomatic way to handle that situation. Then the French Revolution happened in 1793, which is where Marie Antoinette and Louis XVI unfortunately lost their heads via the guillotine. Eventually, after this, the Napole- <laughs> Napoleonic Wars came along, and it's because Napoleon was causing problems on the continent. He's definitely on the list. Don't you worry. And Jane Austen was writing her novels in a note that uh, he didn't probably care about, but I certainly do. Now, remember, I said George III had 15 children. Nine of them were sons. Two of these sons died in childhood. So, this leaves seven princes. Now, something all of these princes had in common none of them bothered to have legitimate children. They had illegitimate ones, certainly, but none of them apparently liked their wives enough to have any children with them. The Prince Regent did have a daughter, but she died in childbirth. This daughter was named Princess Charlotte. Her story, it's pretty sad. Uh, But she liked Jane Austen, and so I appreciate that about her. Uh, I think the History Chicks actually did a really good, it's a pretty short episode, but if you want to know more about Prince Charlotte, I would point you there. Now, the fifth child and fourth son of George III finally had a legitimate baby girl who became the heir after all of her uncles, who came before her, of course, um, became before her dad, you know went through, of course. Now, eventually some of the later children of George III had legitimate children, but we're talking siblings number eight, nine, and 10, and the later ones had no issues as well. So four of these 15 children ended up having legitimate kids, which I think is hilarious. And I, I don't know. They just, again, they must just really not have liked their wives. But when the current uncle on the English throne, William IV, died in 1837, again without issue, the next heir was a little girl, the daughter of that child number five, and her name was Victoria. Victoria ruled the United Kingdom, that's what we're calling it at this point, from 1837 to 1901. Up until recently, she was the longest reigning monarch that England had ever had. Now, I'm not sure what to say about Victoria. That will be short enough for our purposes, but she had nine children who married all across Europe. They didn't stick around and bother people like George III's children did, resulting in her nickname, the grandmother of Europe, and also resulting in hemophilia being spread amongst the European noble uh, houses. But with good always comes some bad. Now, after Victoria's husband died, she went into mourning and avoided public life for quite a bit of her reign. And this resulted in even more extended powers given to parliament. Since she couldn't give her last name on, she was technically the last monarch of the Hanover dynasty. The Victorian era, as it became to be known, was characterized by a rise in religious morality driven by different Protestant groups. The population of England doubled during Victoria's reign, I thought that was incredible, and huge technological developments began to happen. I could go on and on, and if there's something, if this is something that you want an episode on, please let me know. Victoria's son, Edward VII, nicknamed Bertie, ruled under the last name saxe coburg Gotha. Uh, Birdie was popular with the ladies, especially with the American ones. They thought that he was pretty much the rock star. He actually came to New York at one point and the mob that followed him, I feel like the best example would be the way the Beatles were like hounded, (laughs) but he, this was very much, he loved it. He thought, oh, this is the best. He loved Americans because of that. Apparently, our manners are also more forward than English ladies, and he was into that as well. It is actually Bertie who we can thank for the spring of American dollar princesses, as they were sometimes called, because he accepted them into British society, which meant that they married British noblemen. Basically, there's a whole generation of nobility that were propped up by the American women who married for a title to be accepted into society in exchange for the very large dowries that their very rich American dads were going to give to them. I have read whole books about this. It's actually, if you watched my video where I talk about the books that I'm reading, uh, the one it's called The American Heiress, it's based on one of these stories, the American Dollar Princesses. They're also called the Gilded Age Heiresses. There's a bunch of ways that people refer to them. But these types of marriages happened a lot right around this time. And I think that it's a fascinating string of events that led for this to happen. So that's pretty cool. Thanks, Birdie.